Welcome to Dev Chats, a new semi-regular feature on the Left Behind Game Club podcast feed. Today we begin this feature with Chris Wade. He is the developer behind the newly released Sausage Sports Club, a physics game about floppy animals playing sports. It's available now on Nintendo Switch and PC. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. So uh, first question I want to ask you is, uh, when did you know that you wanted to make games? Uh, I, I think my answer to this maybe isn't that interesting, because for a lot of people it's like really early. They know from when they're a kid, there's like a, a moment that they remember or something. But for me, I, I didn't really know. And I got to college and kind of looked at like the sheet of all the majors you can pick from. And I, I had grown up playing games and stuff like that, but I never thought of it as a career. And I got to this list and just game like game development was one of the majors you could pick at the college I went to in Chicago, DePaul. And I picked that and just started taking classes. And uh, I, I had kind of like, like messed around with game development tools in high school a little bit, like modding levels and Left 4 Dead. And uh, I'd messed with Game Maker a little bit, but not, it never stuck and I never made anything that good. But in college, I, like those skills kind of transferred, and I, I kind of like found it was really interesting, and the problem solving was fun, and it, it just like meshed really well with with me. So I eventually I like decided this this was for me, and I you know got into it that way. And uh, you did a lot of game jams when you were in college, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, it it was actually like. I was a sophomore in college, and I had, I didn't know what a game jam was. And somebody I knew who was an upperclassman invited me, and I was like, "Yeah, sure, that sounds really fun." And I went to that, and our team did really well, made a really cool game. And this this was basically my first time like making a game outside of class for for fun or whatever. Uh, and the game was really cool, and I was totally hooked on that on that feeling of like making this thing from scratch that like other people would engage with and like have fun with. So uh, ap- after that, I was like, game jams are the best. I'm just going to do this as much as I can. And it was totally hard to get started because I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't really like a good programmer. I'd just taken like one class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just started doing game jams and over time got better. And uh, I think I used Unigi for every game jam after that first one and got to know that tool really well. And... The better you know a tool, the better you can make things with it, and the more the more like experience you have making games, the more you'll like be able to make better decisions at every crossroad or whatever. So, I got better by doing that, and obviously from my my like degree program or whatever. For anyone that may not necessarily know what a game jam is, how would you describe not only what you do during a game jam, but kind of the energy uh, throughout a a game jam weekend or you know, longer. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, so ba- background is a game jam is uh, a period of time where you alone or you and a group of people work together to make a game from start to finish, like a complete thing from an idea all the way to a playable game that you can distribute to your friends or whatever. Uh, and it's usually a weekend, like 48 hours. And 
during that time, everybody has like set aside this time as the thing they're going to do for this weekend. And so they're really focused on it. Everybody's on the same page. And because the time frame is so short, you have to make decisions like really quickly without, you know, thinking about it too much or, and, and you just have to use what you know, you can't like do research or like make practice levels or practice mechanics or whatever. You just have to like dig into it. And so it's kind of this like really exciting tornado of just like make, making a creative piece of work really fast with people. And you also end up getting really close with the people you do this with. Cause you're like kind of locked together in a room or whatever over a weekend. And it's, there's, there's like usually a lot of opportunities to talk and like hang out. And so it's, it's just like a really cool experience for, for all those reasons. Uh, what's the best game that you made at a game jam when you were in college? Um, there, there was one that I made during uh, the train jam, which is like uh, that. That one's like seventy-two hours, where you take a train from Chicago to to San Francisco the the week before GDC, which is a game developers conference where you know people people are like learning to make games and networking and doing all this like game industry focused um, meeting and listening to talks and stuff like that. But on the train jam, it's like three hundred game developers working together making games on his train. And during that, I teamed up with uh, a few other devs from Chicago who were really good. And the first day of the jam, we just were all like really in sync. And I came up with this idea for uh, a sword fight on rails. Uh, imagine like a sine wave. Uh, and on the sine wave, there's two little dots. Each one is controlled by a different player. And you're using your left stick to move this dot around. And then with the right stick, you're swinging a sword to try to attack the other dot. Okay. Uh, and one of the people on our team, uh, Eric Huang, uh, who worked on Battle Chef and a, bu- a bunch of other stuff, uh, is like this amazing like v- VFX artist and just like made these amazing flashy animations and stuff for this game. And it, al- along with this like interesting kind of unique gameplay mechanic of like two dots moving along a rail fighting each other with swords and Eric's like crazy effects. Um, and just everybody on the team kind of immediately being in sync and being on the same page about what it was just, it just turned out really fun and interesting. And that, that would be the best one I made during school. I would say. Were there any difficulties about developing a game on a train? <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, obviously like you're not always going to have internet on a cross country trip on a train. Uh, there's, there's a period of, of the train jam where you're like up in, up in the mountains and there's just no internet for like an entire day, basically. Uh, and if you know your tools really well and you, you've had a lot of experience making games or programming or whatever, you're, you're going to be okay. But if, if you're, you know, if you're new or something, you need to Google stuff constantly. So I know a lot of people, um, forget software that they need, like they don't have the right program or like not everybody on their team is on the same version of Unity or Game Maker or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that, so that's a big pain point. Uh, and then some, some people will like download documentation, like the docs of their engine or whatever beforehand. And, uh, that's, that's always a good move for that kind of situation. Also, if you don't, uh, if you don't know something, chances are somebody on this train of 300 game developers is going to know it. So sometimes people will like run down the train yelling like, <laughs> "Who can tell me what the dot product does?" Or like, "How do I? I don't, I don't know. Like, how do I get these physics to work?" Or what am I? Who co-op? knows this plugin? Yeah, for sure. Um. So, w- what happens at the end of the train jam? At the end of the train jam, 
everybody gets off the train at once and we have like uh, kind of a wrap up meeting or whatever where the the leader the leader of the group or whatever Adriel just kind of like announces we're done and explains what's going to happen at UDC where uh, they have like booths set up to display the games that were made on the train uh, which is kind of this added pressure of like industry professionals are going to see whatever you made in three days or whatever so you kind of have to bring it uh that's that's basically the end of it and then we, then we all get on buses and stuff and go go into the city and is that how you landed your first jobs because when you uh finished with at the paul um you uh worked in the uh, chicago game dev um uh, the chicago game dev community right yeah yeah uh so I, I worked in the co-working space, the Indie City Co-op, for three years or something like that, mm-hmm. and it that that kind of came out of during school. I I like did internships and stuff at different game studios, and from that, one of one of my titles at one of those jobs was as a contractor. This was on Mortal Kombat, and when I finished that, I since that was my title, I started just pitching myself as a contractor. And people would hear that and say, oh, I can hire this guy to like do a short temporary contract or whatever on my project. So I was getting hired for that kind of stuff. And then eventually that just stuck where I I kind of had had this resume of doing that sort of thing. And it, it was, you know, I'm, I'm more trustworthy of people looking to hire if I have like several jobs under my belt and if I'm already marketing myself as a contractor. Uh, and so that that turned into like, more and more legit and interesting jobs like Battleship Brigade and uh, Manifold Garden at some point. Yeah, so you you worked at the, for companies like Phosphor Games, you worked for Robomoto, yeah. for NetherRealms, yeah. as you mentioned. Um, so how did you get involved, uh, if I'm understanding the chronology right, with um, the folks that made Battleship Brigade? How did you get involved with that project? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so at some point after working at NetherRealm on Mortal Kombat, uh, like I said, I was like pitching myself as a contractor and, uh, Will who works on Manifold Garden decided he, he was going to hire me to work as a programmer, as a contractor on that. And at that, at that time I was, I think I was like finishing up school or maybe, maybe it was like the year before I finished or whatever. But during that summer, there was at the, at the Indie City co-op, I mentioned the co-working space in Chicago where a lot of Indies work. There was like a student fellowship program that that they ran that year, mm-hmm. where they picked a bunch of promising students to come to the co-op and basically like they had a free desk for the summer to come work on a project together that was kind of going to represent the co-op and be a good learning experience for the students and also like a networking opportunity to like meet people in the co-op. Mm-hmm. So I had this free desk to do that to do that project. And I decided I was going to work on Manifold Garden out of the co-op just full time as my contract thing, so I could get to, you know get to know all the people in that co-op and just just because they were cool people and I I like figured I could learn from people working next to them in a co-working space and one of the teams there happened to be Battleship Brigade um, and so over over the course of that summer I got close to them would like go with them with problems I was having with Unity or they would ask me if, if they were like interested in some shader thing since that was like my specialty around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it I just kind of clicked with that group. So when I finished that project, they they kind of approached me before it was it was like as soon as I, I told everybody there like I'm I'm gonna finish my project here, 
I'll, I'll like stick around for a while, but unless I find work, whatever, I won't be able to stay. And so they were immediately like, Hey, you should come do programming for us. Cause we need somebody to do that. And it was, it was just that easy. Like I didn't even, it was like the same day they asked me if I was interested. And I think the next, it was, that was a Friday and the, on the Monday following that I started working on Battle Chef. And how many people are a part of Trinket that made Battleship Brigade? Uh, so the core team is three people, uh, Tom, Eric, and Ben. Uh, and it's two programmers and an artist. And then everybody else that worked on that game is is contract or temporary. And the af- after the main three, I was I was the person that worked on it for the longest as as like their contract programmer or whatever. Um, and then there's like there must be like 15 contract artists or something that helped with the food art in that game or like animating monsters and characters and stuff. You've named things that were very dope about that game. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I really appreciated the, the pitch for that game was essentially match three puzzle puzzle game plus iron chef plus yeah. dungeons and dragons. And I was, I was so in <laughs> with that pitch. Yeah, it's it's super good. I I was so I was so glad and so fortunate to be able to work on that because it's just like just that pitch alone, anybody's gonna get excited for that. And they happen to be a great team of of like really smart people. And did you kind of pick up uh, kind of the the biz dev chops as well, kind of as you were involved with that project, or was that largely just dev focused? Um, that that was that was dev focused. I would say that being in the co op, being in the co working space in general, is where I picked up. The, the biz dev chops because at at that same time while I was working on Manifold Garden, I had already started Sausage Sports Club and was kind of prototyping it and trying to figure out what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted it to be a commercial game. So anytime something came up where, you know, somebody with more business experience than me would have like some advice for me, I would just go to them and be like, hey, I'm thinking about taking the game to PAX. Do you think it makes sense to do that? How much How much do you think it would cost to do that? Like, what's the timeline of getting things ready? What, what are the pitfalls and stuff? And they, and they would, you know, all the teams there already had done, had done this like multiple times. So it was just like a good, it was a really good environment for me to be like nurtured into being able to make the game I made. And, uh, you know, I, it's actually funny because that's where I first played your game was at PAX West you know, as you nice. launched the Kickstarter, what did you learn anything? Uh, this game was a Kickstarter. So yeah. did you learn anything throughout the Kickstarter process, both as you were kind of getting funding and as you were communicating before the game's release? Did you learn any lessons as you were going? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there, I mean, there's, I could, I could talk for an hour about all the, all the things that you learn from a Kickstarter. Uh, I, I would say one of the, one of the big things that I, I am really glad that I did a Kickstarter for is like preparing and running the Kickstarter very much mirrored the experience of launching the game where I had to get all these promotional materials ready. I had to cut a trailer. I had to do revisions on a trailer. I had to um, get like press email and content creator email and try to like craft good, good emails to like make sure these people would want to play the game and be interested <laughs> And to look like a professional, I had to do all, all the like business setup to like make sure Kickstarter was gonna like send me money without you know claiming that I was being a fake. You know, you know, there's a lot of paperwork you have to do to set that kind of stuff up. I think it was uh, was it August of 16 where you launched the Kickstarter? 
Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so when you launched in August of 16, you were at PAX and at PAX, I think you said you had a few days left in the actual campaign and yeah. you, were you close to your funding goal at that point or had you hit your funding goal when you were at PAX? Uh, it, it hit the funding goal at PAX, but it was, it was pretty close when I got there. Like throughout the whole campaign, the game kind of like did all of the things it needed to do in the first third where it was like pretty certain that I was going to hit the goal. Mm -hmm. Like, like with a Kickstarter, if you get past 60% ever in the whole Kickstarter, you're like 70% likely to succeed. Hmm. And I, and I did that within the first week, I think, or in the first two weeks or something. So, so it it was like, it seemed very likely that the the Kickstarter was going to succeed like weeks before that. And then I think it was like out of the four days that that PAX West was, it was the second day that it succeeded, I think. What surprised you about uh, the game's business most as you were developing this game and, uh, you know, getting ready to put it out? Uh, So during the Kickstarter, uh, over the course of the whole month, the Kickstarter video got maybe 6,000 views or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and that's at the time I was like, that seems fine. Like it, it succeeded, whatever. Uh, but at PAX West last year, about a year ago, uh, Nintendo featured the game at their at their like Nindies Arcade or whatever, and announced the game was going to be coming to Switch on their like Nindies Showcase, whatever that they do every so often. And it was it was like insane when that happened. Like the six thousand views of the Kickstarter was was nothing, and it was extremely surprising to me how much power these like platform holders have that you can't even like, you, you don't even have a glimpse of like the reach that they have, even if you try your best over like, like if I tweeted every day constantly, like amazing content all the time for a year, <laughs> that would not, that would not be as good as like one, one video on Nintendo's YouTube channel. And it, that, that really like at the same time, it was really scary that, individuals or like small companies like what what I am right now can't really hope to do that but it was also really enlightening in that your strategy shouldn't be to like shouldn't just be to build your own community it should also be to like make your game look really good to those to those kind of platform holders and to try to get your game ready for like the new life cycle of the next platform whatever that might be so that you can be there early and that that was like a totally eye-opening moment that I didn't as an outsider I had no idea. And so your game is on Switch and PC. Uh right. so you're, you know, console exclusive to uh to the Switch. Uh yeah. what has it been like to work with Nintendo and their Nindies program? Yeah, yeah. Uh it's it's been really good. Uh like I said they had this like insane power to like promote the game in a way that I couldn't and b- being able to like like get through that even as like the small the very small team that I am with no no former like projects to to say like hey look I made this really good thing like you should trust me um (laughs) it it was really cool of them to like say yes and then when the game was inevitably delayed to be like no it's fine just like do what you gotta do we'll we'll be there when you know when you're ready to come out whatever um it, it was great their team is really cool they're really supportive uh both both of the like Nindy rep guys like tweeted about the game the day it came out, and that it was just cool to see that support. And so um, uh, you you posted on your Kickstarter, and I just wanted to ask you specifically about this. So you made a joke about feature creep on yeah. your on your Kickstarter, 
And uh, when the game was initially pitched, and correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't pitched with an adventure mode. But you right. know, later th- when throughout the game's development, you added a feature like a big adventure mode. Uh, you know, <laughs> in comparison just to the the multiplayer aspects of it, can you describe kind of what um, how that how that came about, um, how it affected the final product, and uh, maybe kind of what you learned from that? So that came about as a result of a lot of market research I was doing of other games in the in the similar kind of local multiplayer or physics or um, I don't know, like sports-ish sorts of games. I did a lot of research into how those games were doing and just like how many were coming out, how often they were coming out, how many made enough for their creators to like make other games or whatever. And what I was noticing is if your game doesn't have online and if it's only local multiplayer and there's no like other modes in the game, those games tend to do way worse than all of, you know, than if you have a single player or if you have, an on, if you have online. And online was just totally infeasible for me in, in the time frame that I wanted to ship the game mm-hmm. um, be, because, you know, I'm, I'm a one person. I, I do all of the actual game stuff, and it, it would just take, like, an incredible amount of time. And the game is a physics game, which, like, has unique challenges of, of like, networking. You know, if there's 100 physics objects in a scene, that's a lot more complicated than, like, a first-person shooter that has no physics in it. Right. I, I guess the next part of that would be Adventure mode was kind of a solution to that, where if I knew I wanted, I, I knew I couldn't do online, I knew I wanted to have a single player or co-op kind of thing. And that felt right with the spirit of the game, too, of having like co-op and a way to play that wasn't just competitive. Right. So so those two needs kind of, kind of met, and then it was, what does that look like in Sausage Sports Club? And there needed to be some, some other like framing of, of a single player so that that was like season mode. And then some at a similar time where I was like worried about this, like I don't have a single player thing. I was noticing at conventions between matches, players would just like goof around and have fun and like knock around physics objects or like use their head to dance and beat with the music and <laughs> do, do, do these like really cool, playful things that I wanted them to do. But, uh, and, and I, I had this idea that there should be toys to play with like mm-hmm. different, different ways to encourage that kind of behavior and the arenas were like pretty pretty well defined and there wasn't really space for that sort of thing uh especially in the already kind of confusing mode where you select what game game type you want to play there's already a bunch of crap in that scene uh so i so i wanted to try having a different area to to like play around in and and then you know the overworld and adventure mode kind of came out of that those two needs together. I think I saw a picture on your Twitter uh, where you had all the objects that you had um, that you'd made in the game kind of just laid out there. And there were like, there were probably over a hundred objects that you had designed in the game and I'm sure had their own physics tied to them. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't actually counted them, but there's probably over a hundred there. There's 60 hats in the game. So that's, that's like, it's, it's definitely over a hundred if you include the hats. Adding the adventure mode, uh, was feature creep kind of a, a problem for you as you were you know, uh, developing the game and getting ready for it to come out? I, I think if you, if you look at the game in terms of, like, I wanted to release on this date and I kept missing that, then it, that, that was definitely a problem for me. But I, I think the way I approach this game and the way a lot of designers approach their games as... 
like like an in progress like i'm not sure what this is yet i'm going to discover it as i go and try to make it try to like work on things that will make the game what what it should be mm-hmm. instead of like what the timeline is going to require i i like that's that's what i did and the game would be a lot worse if i hadn't done that and i recognize that every time i push the deadline back that like i'm doing this because the game isn't isn't what it's what I want it to be, it's not meeting its design goals yet. And if, if I hadn't if I hadn't done that, then the game would be bad and nobody would want it anyway. <laughs> so it it was definitely a problem, but I think it was like like a reasonable problem considering the outcome, which is that the game ended up good. So you just released Sasha Sports Club and now uh, I believe in December of last year you started at Alchemy Labs in Austin. So you moved across the country that must have been really tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh it it was it was kind of a weird timing for the game just cuz I was trying to ship at that point and uh it it was kind of a surprise move for me like I didn't like the job kind of popped up as an offer out of nowhere and I you know I was trying to ship the game so it was a surprise and for me doing this move was uh, a move so I could have some stability whether or not the game succeeded so that in the future I'd be able to make choices out of out of like rational decision making instead of like uh, running out of money and being desperate for, for like any job or whatever uh, in lo- looking back on it, it was a really good decision because I really like working Alchemy. Uh, the switch to doing VR stuff has been really cool. It's like a totally new design paradigm. And the Austin indie scene is is pretty vibrant and interesting. And it's it's been cool to get to know people here and just like see see a new city and what like what, what the differences are from Chicago and stuff. Um, final question. Um, if you were able to talk to maybe 17-year-old Chris and give him one piece of advice about his future, uh, what would that piece of advice be? Mm, that's interesting. I, I would say keep on, keep on trucking, like do, do what seems right, like make, make the best choices you can and don't worry about it too much because it's, it's pretty good on this end. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really regret any any decisions I made in college, especially career-wise. Like, I I'm excited that this game is out. I'm excited about the job I'm at now. Uh, maybe take more pictures so you can remember <laughs> stuff better. But yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's been a blast, and I my my past self didn't fuck up too bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, uh, thanks so much for your time. And uh, did you want to uh, kind of give the the final pitch about Sasha Sports Club, where people can find it, where they can find you, etc., yeah. etc.? Yeah, sure. Uh, once again, Sausage Sports Club is a physics game about floppy animals playing sports. It's out now on Nintendo Switch and Steam. Uh, you can you can get it on the eShop or on Steam, uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Wade underscore underscore and that's it you can follow everything left behind game club at leftbehindgame.club on twitter at leftbehindclub on instagram at leftbehindgameclub and if you want to follow me specifically on social media you can do so at jacob mccourt thanks so much for listening to the first of our dev chats <laughs>